Welcome to another episode of the Plastics Podcast. I'm Jacob, and I'm joined by Blair to discuss another weekend of Premier League soccer. Liverpool show their strength against Burnley. Danny Ings channels his inner Puskas and a look ahead at Arsenal-Chelsea tomorrow. Also, Carly Lloyd has announced her retirement this week. She hangs up her boots as one of the cornerstone players to the women's national team, bringing the U.S. to an unprecedented level of international success. Finally, a brief recap on VFB Stuttgart versus RB Leipzig, two American managers trailblazing in the Bundesliga, what the match told us about America's highest profile coaches abroad. Off and running, baby. Off and running. That interlude was the cop uh, singing You'll Never Walk Alone um, during a moment of respect for the 97th victim of the Hillsborough disaster before the match uh, with Liverpool facing off against Burnley. The cup? The cop. The cop. The cop. Is that like a that's stand? The, that's the, uh, That's the. yeah, that's like the, the fan section. Okay. Is that behind one of the goals? Yeah, so uh, the cop is, like, um, behind... Yeah, so it's, like, this huge... It's kind of like the yellow wall at um, the Signal Duna Park um, for Bruce E. Dortmund, and uh, that's where the rowdiest fan section is, and that's where um, you get most of the rambunctious crowd, the spirited crowd. The ultras, Jacob? Um, yeah, yeah. I think that might have a more negative connotation, though. <laughs> yeah. I was joking. I don't think... Uh, do any of the Premier League teams really have, like, acknowledged or recognized ultras groups? Yeah, I mean, like, they... That's tough. I don't know enough to comment on it. Um, I know it's a much more prevalent thing in Italian soccer. Yeah. In uh, South American soccer. That's something that we could definitely talk about uh, later if something happens during the season, which it inevitably will. So, I saw Schalke fans... A video of Schalke fans chasing players after they were relegated last year outside of the stadium. Yikes. So that wasn't great. I don't know if you would consider them ultras, but Um No, I don't I don't think like any negative actions fans take against the team or the the players to be like always ultras. Um there's gonna be stupid people in every large group. True. Yeah. Anyway, Blair, how was your week? You know, not too bad. Um there is a Currently, a hurricane potentially bearing down on New York City. That's true. Yep, it's uh, we're gonna get hit uh, tomorrow. Yeah, it's called Henri. <laughs> so Hurricane Henri. Yeah, the, we're supposed to get a hurricane named Henri the day that we played Chelsea at home uh, after losing to Brentford. I don't know if I like. If that, that's got to be a sign. It's right? really inauspicious. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, we're recording on Saturday, um, just after the main run of games in week two of the Premier League. Um, this is 
just after Watford Brighton, um, a match we didn't pay too much close attention to because we were busy drafting this episode. That's true. Brighton though, matching and even slightly exceeding XG. The XG Jason. boys are rising to the occasion. Yeah, I think last year's uh, Timo Werner XG Wonder Kids team of the season would have been trademark would have been Brighton. <laughs> By a long shot. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, that, that was kind of the meme, wasn't it? The, you know, like on paper, great, but just didn't click. And maybe they can make something happen this season. Yeah, you got to think that if you start scoring more goals, good things are going to happen for you. So let's see if they can continue <laughs> One it. One can only hope. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about uh, the Seagulls. We're here to talk about Liverpool Burnley. That's right. We're here to talk about the uh, absolute throttle uh, Alexander Arnold had on Burnley today. Um, before I launch into, I have a list of things here. Uh, can I get some of your impressions of the game, Blair? Yeah, it was a tale of two games, I think. Burnley had some interesting moments in the first half. They looked more promising in the, that first half than the second half, I thought. Uh, they certainly were getting forward more with the ball, creating some chances. I think they actually had some go in, but they were offsides, so uh, unlucky yes. there. But yeah, uh, you know the this the sort of energy they showed and promised in the first half didn't really translate to the second half. Liverpool seemed much more comfortable; they were dictating the game, and uh, yeah, able to win it pretty comfortably, two 0 at the end. Yeah. Absolutely, I would agree. The Burnley, I think, in the first half especially, looked very progressive. They looked uh, threatening. Um, not great for my stress levels in the first like fifteen minutes because there was a lot of scrambles in front of goal. Yeah, and it's not something you say about Burnley very often. Absolutely not. No. They sort of reverted to form in the second half, but in the first half they were really getting out and playing higher up the pitch, and you know, just like kind of what we said about Norwich last week. They tried to play Liverpool, you know? I mean... Yeah, and I, I think they did a really good job. I don't know what Sean Dyche told them at halftime. Yeah. But I don't know why yeah. they reverted back to the mean. He was disgusted by what he saw. <laughs> this is attractive. Yeah. I I enjoy watching this. Why? If Chris Wood doesn't have his boots firmly planted on the 18-yard line... <laughs> yeah. Um, so for those of you who didn't watch, uh, Liverpool beat Burnley two to nothing, um, from assists, uh, by Trent Alexander-Arnold and Konstantinos Simikas had a lovely cross towards Diego Jota in the first half for the, the Greek goal. freak, the Greek, not, not the, the Greek freak, uh, the U S knows and loves, but one that is much more loved by Anfield. Um, yes, uh, Diogo Jota, a scorer of many different types of goals, scores many with his head for a player of his stature. He really does, yeah. That's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought of that before we mentioned it here, but he does score a lot of headed goals, it seems. Yeah. How tall is he? Uh, I mean, he's. I don't think he's over six foot, which is... I don't think so either. Let's see. He's 5'10". Okay. He's 5'10", uh, which doesn't... It doesn't make him short, but it doesn't give him that bit of height that you really need to get over, I don't know, say Burnley center backs. Burnley have tall center backs. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was impressive, I mean, maybe due to his timing of the run, um, and obviously it was a fantastic cross from Simikas. So 
uh, that was a great showing from him. We'll see how the rest of the season progresses for him because Robertson is back and he's healthy. He was on the bench today, didn't play, but I think that comes as more of a good sign for Liverpool's supporters uh, next week. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good sign. And honestly, you don't really... I don't know what the matchup is next week for Liverpool off the top of my head. I believe it's Chelsea. Okay, maybe not. But I would say, maybe if it wasn't Chelsea, but you don't really need to rush Robertson back from what you've seen out of Simikas. Not that you don't want Robertson in your lineup, but if I was Klopp, I wouldn't be at all worried about what I was getting out of uh, my left back in Simikas. I think he's done pretty well and held his own. So seems like he's got some talent in him. I think he was acquired for like 12 million pounds, I saw. So... Seems like he's like a pretty good acquisition, a good good bit of depth for the squad. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, a fantastic signing as a backup. Um, really came into his own this game and over the preseason. Um, and I know I was gushing about him last episode, so um, we won't talk too much about him. But a fantastic game from him and uh, arguably an even better game from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, the guy was pinging passes uh, through the 18. He was even drifting towards the middle at times to just lift balls over the back line to players. Um, That was how he assisted the second goal that uh, Sadio Mane finished beautifully. And uh, they were just letting him kind of have the run of the mill of the right wing, especially in the second half. Yeah, he was... It still strikes me... I don't know why. Every time I watch... Trent, just how much creative action he has in his game, it always surprises me because he's a right back. Like, I know that in the modern game, your fullbacks are sort of like wingers or whatever. They're offensive players, basically, in most systems, or in some systems, I guess, especially in Liverpool's. But just the quality of creativity that he brings from the right back position is just... it's incredible to me and yeah I mean if you're a neutral fan just watching any game watching Trent Alexander-Arnold kick a ball it's one of the more beautiful things you'll ever see in sport he can get such such a hard curl on it it's crazy yeah and it looks so effortless from him the thing is is like he puts it like the accuracy is really good but and I know he's kicking it hard but it looks like once it hits your head it would just be like a little kiss yeah (laughs) here it is I sent you a gift Go on, do something with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really, um, yeah, I mean, the, the narrative's kind of been the past, I don't know, four seasons, three or four seasons of, uh, you know, Man City against uh, Liverpool. And in that dynamic, there are two right backs that are just um, totally different in the way they do things uh, Kyle Walker and Trent Alexander Arnold. Um, Trent is more of a, uh, a flourish, Kyle Walker's is very hard very fast, very powerful right back that um, doesn't isn't known for, you know, his, I don't want to call artistry, but his, the, the way he can just lift a ball into the, into the box. Yeah. Walker is definitely more of a, he relies a lot on his speed and his strength for sure. And uh, I think he could maybe be a backup running back for the Lions someday. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, that might be an upgrade, honestly. I don't know. Um <laughs> We'll see this season uh, for all you Lions fans listening in. Uh, I have Jordan Henderson slotted in 
back into the game, no problem. Yeah, you played more of a Liverpool played more of a conventional midfield for their setup yeah. than last week. Yeah, very. Um, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is looking great. Uh, definitely making a case for him to start more regularly as long as he stays healthy. Uh, Jordan Henderson, he looked fine today. Uh, played what you looked to be his usual role, uh, covering on the right bit of the midfield to let Alexander Arnold go forward for those diving runs. Um, to the right flank. And let's see, I have notes for Burnley because we will talk about them too. Uh, like we said, the first half, incredibly progressive. Um, they were moving the ball quicker. They were moving the ball more fluidly uh, between players. Um, we, we weren't seeing these uh, crazy runs from, you know, Dwight McNeil or uh, who's their other striker? Chris Wood. Thank you, Chris Wood, um, to try and get in behind the line by themselves. Uh, and it really created problems for Liverpool. They weren't too confident in clearing those uh, those threatening balls out sometimes. And uh, Allison had to make some questionable sweeper-keeper uh, dives uh, from his, from his uh, box. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Nick Pope, um, backup keeper for England and starting keeper for Burnley he had a lot of great saves um, and I think that the biggest mistake Burnley made in retrospect is focusing on trying to get the balls that they wanted to get into the box over the center backs they were trying to play through the middle and over Verge or Matip to a striker for them to convert it. And what this did is it let Trent Alexander-Arnold not have any concerns about any wingers coming down his side of the field. So he just went full-fledged on his offensive duties. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, I think something that we talked about last week was that people exploit that space in behind your fullbacks, uh, or if they can effectively, that can be really dangerous and really unsettling for a defensive line to try to compensate for the missing player that may be up the pitch. So, yeah, that's a great point. They do need to exploit that space more. That was something that I think with Trent that was kind of discussed last year is that he needs to work on some of his defensive prowess a bit. But obviously with having Verge back and Matip, you know, he has less of that responsibility or that burden that he did last year. So, yeah, I uh, think that's just going to be much better for Liverpool's balance. But yeah, for for Burnley's side of things, you know, not a lot of teams are going to struggle against Liverpool this year. So I honestly, I would look at that first half and be pretty heartened by what I saw from my squad or my team. And if they play more like that throughout this season, you know, they're going to they're going to net some goals. So they're going to look. I mean, I think they look pretty good. Dwight McNeil had. A great clearance off the goal line. That was that was crazy. Yeah, it was really good. Um, so yeah, I mean, there were some there were some moments for the team, and you know, I think when you're playing a team like Liverpool, you need some bounces to go your way. You need some luck, and they just didn't have it today. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't feel too bad about my team right now if I was a Burnley fan. I wouldn't think. Yeah, they they did. They had a really uh, again great first half, um, and there was a lot to look for there. Uh, they just happened to play right towards 
um, Liverpool's strengths in the second half. And, um, you know, I don't know the reasoning for that. I don't know what Sean Dyche said to him in the second, I mean, the, the halftime team talk, but uh, it definitely didn't help Burnley out. And that's just a consequence of how they decided to play that day. And uh, we saw what Liverpool would look like if they were in total control of the game. And it looks good. Um, you know, just a few tweaks here and there, and this could shape up to be a really, really great season for Liverpool. Time will tell. Anyway, moving on, we've got just a couple of housekeeping notes on Aston Villa and Newcastle. Uh, we're only really going to talk about uh, one to two things here. Uh, Danny Ings, incredible show-stopping goal. Amazing. Um, bicycle kick from, uh, you know, halfway between the, what I think the six yard box and the 18 yard, uh, line. And it just pings into the far right side of the goal. There's nothing anyone can do about it. Um, I just, the game before, like the game prior to this goal had just been kind of super boring yeah Yeah. (laughs) but it just light light uh lighted up the entire field uh you know aston villa obviously uh just excited beyond belief by it um and now that led uh to me and you talking about the apparent prevalence for throwing set pieces yeah yeah pretty interesting uh, that we're seeing that now Obviously, there was one against uh, an Arsenal versus Brentford. We don't need to talk about that. Right. Uh, I think this was something I've always heard it associated with Stoke. They did this. I think I've seen a, a compilation video of a guy. I can't remember his name, but he was like really good at long ball throw-ins. I think that was like one of his specialties. I think he was a Stoke player. Yeah. Um, I think Stoke, and then uh, uh, maybe with more famously with Iceland. Uh, in the Euros 2016, ah, yeah. they were big on throwing set pieces. Uh, we've got nothing to back us up on what will happen with the rest of the season, but two uh, converted throwing set pieces from two different teams in two game weeks. I don't know. That seems like too much. If you think about, average. yeah, it could, it could be, I think the, the, term here is variance or something it could be just that we're seeing the high end of the distribution of odds or whatever when it comes to these and that will revert to some sort of mean that you know we'll have these long ball throw-ins where they don't really come to much but if you think about the conversion rate for a, a corner kick I don't really know the numbers off the top of my head and it'd be something to look into but you know to have a small handful of long ball throw-in set pieces resulting goals you know at that percentage compared to corners I mean that's interesting and I just wonder if it's something that you know we I I don't recall in my time watching uh, Premier League soccer seeing too many of these so I just wonder if it's some sort of new wrinkle that teams are instituting into their schemes uh, at that end of the pitch that they're kind of catching defenses off guard yeah I know that uh that will return to the main in terms of the amount of uh, throwing set pieces and not to mention converted throwing set pieces, but I know Brentford have been focusing on set pieces as a whole as a way to increase their goal threat for the Premier League. 
So we might see more from them, and certainly um, Burnley have our big on set pieces, uh, which is where you see a lot of the corners from, and then obviously Aston Villa are going to try to compensate somehow for a lack of, I don't know, attacking genius that Grealish um, provided. So we might see more from them in that aspect. I'm just trying to come up with reasons as to why it was like these teams that we've seen them from. So, again, nothing concrete to back this up, but it's just something we noticed. So look out for it. Um, There might be more throwing sets that result in crazy bicycle kicks. Who knows? Yeah, uh, and just to kind of give some color to the conversation, Aston Villa, two shots on target this game. One being a penalty. I think that counts as a shot on target, right? Yeah. So, yeah, interesting uh, dynamic there. Uh, Newcastle United, one shot on target. So that's not great. Just dreadful game. Yeah, it's really not great. It was kind of a rock fight. One goal is off, off a pen. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it wasn't really pretty, but... Hey, if you're Aston Villa, three points is three points. Three points is three points. Danny Ings, great signing, I guess. Yeah, I need to apologize to Danny Ings. I laughed <laughs> at that signing. I thought it was a foolishly high price, and I think that goal alone was worth 30 was million pounds or whatever it was. 30 million for a goal this season? Yeah. <laughs> Two weeks in? Absolutely. All right, um, moving on real quickly, Man City versus Norwich. Uh, that was a 5-0 thumping. Uh, Norwich on the receiving end of this. Uh Blair, they've had two very tough fixtures. They started the season at Manchester United, and then they had to face City. Um, I know we're only two weeks in, and it's time for some clear and obvious overreactions, but... That's what we're best at. Yeah. Do you think they're going to get relegated? Yes. Yes. I think they will. Yeah, unfortunately for them. Sorry, Norwich City fans. I don't know. The relegation fight this year will be interesting, but... If you're if you're Norwich, you know I can kind of see maybe how you're okay with the start of the season, in that like you're kind of getting your hardest tests out of the way first, you know. So, I mean, if you think about it, they had all season or all summer to prepare for the Liverpool match, right? So, I guess that's kind of an ideal case if you're trying to get some points. If you're going to beat one of the sort of big six clubs. As a smaller side, I think there's some logic in wanting to play them early in the season when they maybe don't have all of their summer signings fully integrated into the squad. Their conditioning's not fully up. Like You're going to have some more variation. There's a term, again. Uh, but randomness and outcomes, I think. And maybe more likelihood that uh, you could get something out of those matches. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, the flip side of that is that you know maybe later in the season when they're playing a bunch of cup games and traveling a lot they have tired legs and you rotate what you know yada 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 maybe that's where you get your points but i don't know it's a tough start to the season norwich didn't achieve a single shot on target they had one shot the entire game they didn't really have much of the ball so this was kind of a classic manchester city squeezes you to death game yeah and to be fair it's not i wouldn't i wouldn't say so much as like this is this is what was to be expected when you face Manchester City as a newly promoted side. Um, this isn't something that was, I would say, an entirely a result of bad preparation. I mean, they, they obviously, they clearly was were trying to go for a draw. Um, no, no goals, and it didn't work out um, due to 
you know, I mean, it started off with an own goal, right? Um, I don't know which center back hit it into Tim Krul to bounce into the goal, but uh, that's not, I mean, obviously that just killed morale. Yeah. Seventh minute, bad bit of luck. Yeah. The shot or uh, the, the clearance, I think, just sort of ricocheted off Krul's chest and into the net. He didn't really have much that he could do there. Exactly. And, and the, the second goal like wasn't even intentional from Jack Grealish. First city goal, by the way, just yeah. was off his thigh or something, and he just kind of went in. Yeah, he looked a bit surprised by it, but then yeah. he still did one of those, like, I'm really cool celebrations at the end. Yeah, so like, You're welcome, City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, um, I mean, you know, odds are high that Norwich City will be relegated, but nothing to maybe take away from the two Manchester teams that they played. Um, good luck to them. Yeah, I would love to see Norwich stay up, and I, I hope they can find some form. Uh, as the season goes on. Now we're going to break away from our Premier League commentary. Uh, Big news this week in the world of U.S. international soccer. Uh, U.S. women's national team uh, icon, perhaps a uh, talismanic figure. Carly Lloyd announced her retirement from the team. She will finish out the season with the New York, New Jersey uh, Gotham, uh, a team in the U.S. and WSL, excuse me. There it is. (laughs) And she will uh, finish her career um, on one of the most impressive uh, national teams uh, to ever grace the field. Yeah, I, I, there's not much to say. It all speaks for itself. She's had a illustrious career. Blair, can you read off the accolades that she's received? Yeah, uh, this would be like one of those classic moments in a movie where somebody unfurls a scroll and it like rolls down like multiple flights of stairs because it's that long, you know, classic joke. Yeah. Um, she uh, has had, she's played for 11 different clubs, it looks like. Um, yeah, she's, she, she's bounced around domestically. Yeah, and yep, like Jacob said, she's finishing with Gotham FC, which is like the sort of New York, New Jersey shared club. Um, she plays as the number 10 in the women's national team, so she's kind of more of an attacking midfielder or forward going towards goal. She's made 312 national team appearances. That's fourth all-time for the U.S. Yeah, it's astounding. That's a long career. 128 goals in that time, which is... Uh, fourth most she was named the uh, first team all big 10 or i'm sorry all big 10 big east at the time uh, when she played at Rutgers, which was the she was the first athlete to do that she ended her career with 117 points uh, on 50 goals and shots um, at uh, Rutgers. she was second all time for caps in the women's national team behind christine kelly or sorry christine lilly uh, she's one of four to play more than 300 games internationally for the women's national team. She's one of two Americans to win the FIFA Player of the Year twice. The other, I believe, was Mia Hamm. She has a team record for Olympic goals at 10, team record for World Cup goals at 10. Uh, she's tied with Mia Hamm for hat tricks in women's national team history at 8. It's just uh, a ton, uh, an incredibly long resume. For reference... Um, for those of you, this was a lot of numbers um, that may or may not mean 
uh, a lot to people that don't really have a good um, reference point for these things, but she has a 312 um, international team appearances. Okay, how many do you think Lionel Messi has for Argentina? Oh. Lionel Messi, uh, in the conversation for the greatest player of all time, ever, how many international appearances does does he have? Okay, so the fact that you're answering, asking me this question makes me think it's less by some sort of surprising amount. I'm going to guess half, 150. You are literally one off. It's 151 international appearances. Uh, Carly Lloyd has more than double the amount that Messi has. She joined the national team in 2005? Uh, I believe so. So yes. she's played for 17 years. Yeah, so she's literally played since you know, day one of her uh, career into um, professional soccer. And she uh, really played for the U.S. at every international opportunity. There was a point where she was cut from the team and had to really work through some uh, mental issues as a player, you know, just the way she thought about the game, how seriously she was taking it. And this was when she was really young, so this was more of a learning experience for her than anything. And uh, she was part of that um, burgeoning of U.S. women's all-stars that brought back U.S. dominance on the international stage. Yeah, so she won. they won back-to-back World Cups, right, in 2011 and 2015. Exactly. And, um, no. Sorry. 2015 and 2019. Yes, they yeah. lost in 2011. So, yeah, that was the big thing. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that a bit later, but uh, she helped bring this crazy dominance um, like along with a, a cast of, you know, uh, Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath, uh, Rose Lavelle, um, who is Hope Solo, you know, an iconic U.S. goalkeeper. Um, Abby Wambach. Abby Wambach, yeah, another big one. So all of these players just coalescing. And, you know, Carly Lloyd, arguably at the, at the head of this charge, uh, she, you know, was a big high-profile player, um, she has uh, she was the, she was the creative you know role around which a lot of the team scored its goals, especially in 2015. Um, she's 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 much older now. She's 38, 39. So it's it, you know it was it was time for her to retire. There was no way she was going to make it to a second World Cup. Yeah, um, sorry, another World Cup after 2019. Yeah, to play even to play into you know, your late thirties like that, I think just goes to show how elite she was. Yeah, for sure. If your skill level was falling off from a lower level, you wouldn't be playing that long viably, you know, uh, even a diminished Carly Lloyd is still better than many starting players in many national team setups or club team setups around the world. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's just really, really impressive. And I think she scored probably the most memorable goal in national team history for me, men's or women's, uh, against Japan when she uh, chipped the shot from half field. Yeah, and so let's uh, actually let's let's roll some audio. So we've got I've got two clips here. Uh, one from the 2011 uh, World Cup where the U.S. made it to the final uh, against Japan, and uh, they were unable to win they lost in a penalty shootout and uh that 
I mean, in, in, in one of the most painful ways that you can lose a international cup competition final um, on the biggest stage. Yeah, and just the worst way to go about that. Uh, and I think the biggest thing there is to take that result from Japan. They lost 3-1 to one on penalties. You know, this wasn't a close thing. They Japan didn't even have to finish out yeah. their lineup. And uh, to take that, and then again, that like what we talked about earlier, that mental toughness that Carly had to learn, um, you know, on, on an international stage and come back in 2015 – and you know what you you described as one of the most iconic World Cup goals, men's or women's ever. Yes. Just the sheer audaciousness of seeing the keeper out of position and deciding to just go for it. Let it rip. Fantastic start by the USA. Lloyd with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper off the post and in. Patrick Bullard. This is absolutely world-class from Carly Lloyd to look up, see Kyori off her line. The ball got moves from the shade to the light. Kyori slips and tries to her To be fair to Japan's keeper there, she did get a hand on it. She, she deflected it just not wide enough. So painfully close yeah. to going out. Yeah, and I'm glad it didn't go out because yeah. it was incredible. I remember, like, I think it was at... Um, where was I? I don't know. I just remember jumping out of my seat watching that. Cause I, like, I was at work. Yeah, I think I was too. That's what I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was at work watching it, and then I just was like, oh my god, like, what what just happened? But yeah, I mean, that was kind of a goosebumps moment hearing that callback because yeah, I just still remember like watching that live and just being like, I, I can't believe she went for that. It was crazy. Yeah. No, there's no situation in which uh, at that point you should think about it. You should think, oh, they like the keepers out of position. I should, you know, advance this forward and then try and get another player for a quick one-two action because she was like, she was towards the front of this charge. Yeah. No. Yeah. Let's just chip it. See what happens. Yeah. It's like it's like a, you remember that um, the Wayne Rooney hat trick he had for Everton on his like first appearance for them back when he transferred from Man United. Yeah. Yeah. Except this is on the world stage. And there was also the Wayne Rooney goal for DC United. Yeah, exactly. You remember that? Where yeah. he, he like recollects the ball at half field and then he just shoots it. The man loves just going for it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Carly Lloyd, um, your, the memories you brought will be cherished for a long, long time. And I hope to see you in a pundit role soon. Yeah, absolutely. Hope that she sticks with the game in some fashion, coaching or otherwise. And yeah, best of luck to her in her future. But thank you for all the great memories. segment we're going to talk about uh our american players abroad we're going to mainly focus on friday's bundesliga match between rb leipzig and vfb stuttgart uh this was we noted on our instagram by the way you can follow us at the plastics podcast absolutely and on twitter 
What's our Twitter handle? The Plastics Pod, baby. There you go. So we noted there that uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo, coach for VFB Stuttgart, and Jesse Marsh, coach for RB Leipzig, played each other. Uh, they're both American. They're both the first, the first and second uh, American coaches in the Bundesliga on the top flight. And, you know, when it rains, it pours. Now they're playing each other, two American coaches. Uh, it's, it's really good to see. There are, I mean, and not to mention Tyler Adams playing for RB Leipzig. Of course. Yeah, you had to mention him. Uh, and so, Blair, you watched this game. Um, I was at work. Yeah. What did you think? Leipzig play with just a ton of energy. Their players uh, move the ball very quickly. They're you know, up and down the field. I was just surprised by a lot of the, yeah, I mean, just the, the energy they bring to the field. It was sort of a, a strange game, but, I mean, Leipzig, you know, they weren't really too bothered by a lot of what Stuttgart uh, was offering them, uh, coming at them. You know, they conceded 11 shots. Uh, Stuttgart had five on target, but, uh, you know, there's some some moments in the box uh, that maybe were dangerous for Leipzig, but really on the day, not too much that they couldn't handle. Um, going the other way, though, Leipzig have just they just show that all the kind of quality they have and the gap in quality between these two teams um dominic shubberslai had a brace he had two goals which for the uninitiated is a brace i didn't know that for like i don't know how long but i was like what do you mean he yeah. had a brace it's not always contextual the way they use it yeah um and yeah i believe one was off a free kick that was uh i think it bounced off the post and in so yeah, rather beautiful shot. He's very talented. Arsenal targeted him at one point, and he went to Leipzig from Salzburg, which isn't a surprise. That's how it goes. But yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, there was a Emil Forsberg goal that was pretty nicely set up uh, by Andre Silva. He just had to kind of tap it home past the keeper, and then Silva scored a pen in the second half in the 65th minute. Um, and, you know, by that point, the game was pretty much over. But, yeah, this Leipzig team, I think, is is just really impressive. There's some there's some great talent in that side. It uh, looks real good. Yeah, Shebishlai, Silva, Nkunku, Tyler Adams. Of course, you have to mention him. Emil Forsberg. Yeah, Emil Forsberg, you know, just a ton of talent there. So and If you haven't seen, because I didn't watch the match, but I saw a replay. If you haven't seen the free kick, uh, I highly recommend you just go and watch it. It looks like it's just floating in. Like it's it's on this string and it's being pulled. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think uh, Shepard Sly is going to be one of those guys that you know if he can stay healthy, he's going to be, I think maybe a bigger name in the future. So bold bold prediction uh, from me, but yeah, maybe one to watch from Leipzig. Yeah, and uh, we we talked about Jesse Marsh last episode uh, because there was a couple of articles out floating about him. So about Jesse Marsh, he. He and he obviously his team looks great here, but we're not trying to take away from uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo because um, he was here. He was technically here as head coach just about a year before Jesse Marsh, so he, he hasn't. He's had a bit more time with his team, and uh, he learned under. Um, he was brought on to Hoffenheim's team by Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, who, as most of you might know, is uh, Bayern Munich's head coach currently. So he's gotten a lot of, um, like, you know, incubation time to learn from some really high-established 
managers and he's getting a lot of great experience so i'm excited to see what he does yeah uh, i'm excited to see what uh what um Matarazzo does with Stuttgart they're more of a mid-table team and they're going to be fighting for a decent finish um they're not going to be trying to question Byron's dominance in the Bundesliga try to stop them from getting their 10th title in a row so it's going to be exciting I think the Bundesliga is a league worth watching they score a lot of goals it's a lot of very high-paced fast-moving soccer and um something to pay attention to if you're not a huge fan of the Premier League um more more going for more of a hipster vibe so Bundesliga, Bundesliga fans, where you at? Yeah, Everywhere what's worldwide. up? Represent. <laughs> Great. Okay, let's uh, wrap this up. We're going to loop back around for you, Blair. Uh, we've got a fixture tomorrow. Arsenal versus Chelsea in a North London showdown. Yeah, just a London showdown, but yeah. Oh, wait. Is Arsenal not North London? Arsenal is. But I don't think Chelsea is. Okay. Let me amend that. We've got Arsenal facing Chelsea in a London match for the ages. What color will London be? Uh, yeah, my prediction is blue, um, unfortunately. You can't. You're contractually obligated to say red. Yeah. London is red uh, with our blood. I think... Um, that this is going to be very difficult for Arsenal, obviously. It's kind of frightening coming off of a loss to Brentford. I'm going to give you a lineup that the Guardian is predicting for Uh-oh. Arsenal. Okay. Baron Leno in goal. Yep. Calm Chambers, Ben yep. White, Pablo Mari, Kieran Tierney at the back. Yeah. Granite Xhaka, uh, Lakonga. Okay. As a double pivot. Yep. Bukayo Saka, Emil Smith Rowe, Nicola Pepe as your second line mm-hmm. and Martinelli as yeah. your striker. Is this accurate? Uh, I don't know if it's accurate. Uh, I think it's a guess. The It's possible for sure. It, the news this week was that Martinelli was practicing as a nine and uh, there's some debate amongst Arsenal fans about whether or not he is more of a winger or a striker. He's pretty small right now. I don't know that he has sort of the muscle to contend in the box as a striker he's got the speed to outrun a lot of defenders so he needs to kind of get in behind if he wants to have a chance on goal I think he's decent in the air for not a very tall guy but yeah I don't know I I think seeing him up front wouldn't be all that surprising I do think there's a possibility we play a back three here but I'm not sure in that case I think we would see Mari on the left holding in the center and white on the right and then who the wingbacks are could be anyone's guess. Certainly Kieran Tierney, right, as a first choice. Kieran Tierney could be a left wingback. He could also be a left center back. He's played left center back before, and he does it sometimes for Scotland. Okay, and um, can you give me, I guess, it seems to me that if you're playing Chelsea, on paper they've got this superiority. You'd want to play it back four. Is there any reason why they'd play it back three? I think our defending last week looked pretty frightening. And if Lukaku plays any amount of minutes, which I think he will at least play a half, you know, a Lukaku-Werner uh, combination coming at us in a back four with Mari and White, I think would be 
you know, like chumming the waters or something, it wouldn't be great. I think the back three would be more of trying to, we wouldn't be playing very progressively. We'd be sitting back playing a lower block, I think, and trying to play some more open field, broken play, countering football, soccer, sorry. Not sorry. But um, yeah, so I think that would be like the the reason for it. Okay. That's, um, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I guess if you want to actually like try to go toe to toe with Chelsea, like be confident. And like a lot of people are saying that Arsenal might pull out an out of the blue win here, um, depending on how uh, positive they are about the upcoming game. Now I've got, they're saying the Guardian, that is, when I say they, uh, Romelu Lukaku is going to start this game. Interesting. Okay. Kimo Werner is going to bring up the left wing, and Mason Mount's going to bring up the right. Christian Pulisic, everyone, is out with COVID, um, so he will not be featuring at all in this game, unfortunately, and we'll see how he does when he gets back into training for the next weeks. But uh, we've got uh, Mark Salanto, Kovacic, Jorginho, Espilicueta, Rudiger, Christensen, Chaloba featuring again, according to them, and Eduard Mendy. So um, I don't want to be crass here, but... It, I mean, it, there, there's just such a clear line of the type of player between these two teams. And I think that Lukaku is going to be a real bully if he does start. Oh, yeah. I'm frightened. I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know that we can really match his physicality with any of our players in the back, honestly. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. I think we just need to. I don't know. I, it, last week, our positioning felt kind of wrong. Um, you know, uh, there was a lot of space behind our defenders, and I worry that with, you know, a, a front line of Werner and Lukaku, that that would be exploited much more efficiently and effectively by Chelsea than Brentford did, was able to do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really too optimistic about this one, but, you know, hopefully we'll have a bit of a bounce back given that there's a lot of weird circumstances about last week's game that shouldn't be in place for this week's, uh, even if we still have the same players missing with what's now been confirmed as positive COVID tests. You're saying that um, Aubameyang and Lacazette? Yeah, so Aubameyang and Lacazette both tested positive. Uh, Aubameyang has had a subsequent negative test, so he may be available. Maybe on the bench. Kind of a question, yeah. Okay. Lacazette apparently is still positive and I think experiencing some more severe symptoms than Aubameyang was. And apparently he's been kind of struggling with it. I don't think it's like too serious. I, I mean, from what I've heard, I, you know, I obviously don't know these things in too much depth. But um, yeah, it sounds like he's kind of struggling with it right now. So hopefully he gets better. I mean, obviously that's the most important part. But yeah, uh, Martinelli up front might be what you see. Okay, yeah. Maybe we'll see Martinelli. Maybe we'll even see ESR as a striker. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> he's played the false nine. Um. Okay, last question. Scoreline. Can you just give me predicted scoreline so we can either be vindicated tomorrow or not? Yeah, so last time I said it would be 2-1 Arsenal beating Brentford, and in fact it was 2-0. Mm. Mm-mm. So if I say it's one to three Arsenal losing to Chelsea, that means that we'll win by three to one. Okay, so you're not commit to a one three loss here. Yeah, I, th- I think I want to see a score goal. That would be great. Yeah, Baby steps. And this will be at um, 
at Arsenal, right? Yep, it's at home. So that gives me some hope. I mean, it's our first game back with uh, fans in the stands at, you know, greater capacity. I don't know if it's full capacity yet or not. I don't think it's quite there yet. But, you know, obviously uh, we saw what, you know, White Hart Lane looked like, Anfield, all these big stadiums, Old Trafford with fans back in the in the in the stands so you know hopefully that injects some energy into the side we looked really kind of indolent in the first game so i hope to see and i I hope that's attributed more to the sort of circumstances that surrounded the run-up to the game than anything to do with just you know the sort of energy and enthusiasm in the side so hopefully we see a bit more at least energy from the team this week yeah, and, you know, let's at the very least hope that the Emirates gives Arsenal some of that much-needed um, oomph to their side because they, they are, I, I, to me, a side that really relies on its fans to bring more energy to the play. Yeah, and, you know, last year we didn't score many goals at home. I think we scored 24, 28 goals at home. Yeah, it was at, I, was, I think it was 28, and that was like a new low since, like, I want to say 76 or something. Yeah, and we had just a horrible drought, you know, in the first half of the season. So I don't really expect us to be, you know, making up big returns this week and trying to, uh, you know, improve on that record from last year uh, playing Chelsea at home. But I do want us to see going forward more goals coming out of us at the Emirates for sure. That would be the ideal. And I think we all love to see Chelsea lose anyone really that isn't a yeah. Chelsea fan. Um, and since Pulisic will not be in the starting lineup, I'll have no reason to hope for a Chelsea goal. So uh, I think that just about wraps it up. Uh, let's hope that Arsenal will come away with a victory for the sake of the apartment <laughs> and for the sake of London as a whole, I believe. I would love to see a financial giant take a tumble no matter uh, how well they'll do later in the season. Um, again, uh, congratulations to Carly Lloyd on a fantastic career on a legacy that will be probably remembered for the rest of the U.S. women's national team's history. And let's be excited for tomorrow's round of fixtures. I'm Jacob. I'm Blair. And thank you for listening to the Plastics Podcast. Cheers. My chicken